So if you look in your, your bulletin at your sermon notes, you see the title, uh, Vampire Christians. Um, it led to some pretty interesting, yeah, he's rocking the cross necklace, which is kind of a weird thing for a vampire to do. Um, you'd think it would eat right through him. But it's, I've gotten some interesting Facebook responses when I posted that was the title. People were trying to guess what the 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 sermon was going to be about, you know, people talking about how, you know, bad things happen after dark. I thought that was a good one. George had that one. Um, you know, people talking about people who suck the life out of church. And I thought, maybe I'll change it to that because that may be better than what I have. But um, but we all know what a vampire is, right? It's uh, it's one of those things. Bella Lugosi, right? He, he made it famous. Um, vampire history is is gone back as far as Vlad the Impaler, and this isn't a, a Wikipedia lesson, because um, that's where I got most of my information, but they've been around in popular culture for hundreds of years, made really famous in, in the 1800s by somebody named Bram Stoker who wrote the book Dracula, all right, and it's kind of continued in popularity until now, you know, there's vampires everywhere and everything. The Twilight series made that really popular to where now vampires are good looking and they have shiny skin when they're out in the sun and things. And the whole genre has just kind of changed. And, and everybody knows the, the stereotypical stuff about vampires and what they're all about. But, but that's not where we're going with this. It, it's, it's something a little bit different. In, in Bram Stoker's book... Dracula, Count Dracula, hates mirrors. He can't stand them. He goes into a room full of mirrors and he goes nuts and he destroys them all. He hates mirrors. And, and because of that, because in the 1800s, Bram Stoker wrote that, that Dracula couldn't look at himself, we get this kind of idea that vampires can't see their reflection. You've heard that before, right? But the original idea was not that they couldn't see their reflection. It was because they couldn't face what they'd become. That was the point. The reason he hated the mirrors is because it constantly reminded him that he was without a soul. That he looked in the mirror and what he saw was repulsive. It's that angle that we're going to talk about today. So for all of you that were looking to hear, you know, all the blood and gut stories, you know, it's not going to happen. We're going to talk about mirrors, all right? Something safe for the whole family. Um, if you turn your Bibles to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and the verse we're going to read is verse 5. And this is what Paul says. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless you indeed fail to meet the test. You see, we're a lot like vampires. Never thought you'd hear that from up here, did you? We avoid mirrors at all costs. We're afraid to examine ourselves because we're afraid of what we're going to see in the mirror when we look. This word here, examine, is the Greek word perizit, and it, it means test. It's the same word that Jesus used when the, the Herodians and, and the Pharisees came up to him and, and asked him about taxes. And they said, hey, religious leader, do we pay taxes to the government? And Jesus says, why do you test? Why do you perish? Why do you test me? 
it's the same word, to test, to literally just to examine. A lot of our college students and high school students are taking an exam now. It's just, it's a test of knowledge. Paul says, examine so that you have knowledge. Examine yourselves. James 1, 2 through 5 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this idea of test is not unique just to this, this book. It's all throughout Scripture. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. That's scary. The reason why exams are scary is because we're afraid we don't know the answer. If you knew all the answers and you know you knew all the answers, exams wouldn't be scary at all. There would be nothing to fear from exams. It would be incredibly easy to take a test. But the reason why exams are so hard is because it tests what we know or what we don't know. So when Paul says to examine, to test your faith, that's a scary thing. Test yourself. The reason why it's scary and the reason we're afraid to look in the mirror is because we're afraid of what's going to stare back at us. See, because as Christians, as somebody who has given themselves to the Lordship of Christ, who has died to themselves and takes up the cross daily and follows after Christ, the face we should see in the mirror is not our own, but it should be that of Christ. When we look in the mirror, we should see Jesus Christ looking back at us. But the reason that we're scared to look in the mirror, the reason that that we are scared to test and examine ourselves is because we're afraid of the face that's going to look back at us. There was a book put out not too long ago by a guy named Gabe Lyons and and a guy named uh, Dave Kinneman. It was called Unchristian. And it's a Barner Research Group. And they went around to... Uh, to, to young people, uh, ages, I believe it was 18 to 30, and, and they, they just asked, what do you think about Christianity? And they got responses back. They didn't ask Christians, they didn't ask non-Christians, they just kind of went around to everybody until they got the appropriate Barna sample size, and they asked these questions. This is what they came back with their study. And say, Christians are hypocritical. They're too focused on getting people saved. They're anti-homosexual. They're sheltered. They're too political. And they're judgmental. You see, we're supposed to look like Christ. But to the world, we look hypocritical, too focused on getting people saved. We'll explain that in a minute. Anti-homosexual, sheltered, too political, and judgmental. See, hypocritical, we, we say things like, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't get divorced, you shouldn't uh, go out and get drunk, you shouldn't go to these places, yet the rates of Christians doing those things is exactly the same as the rate of the world doing those things. They say, how can you preach one thing and do the exact same thing that you're preaching against? Now, we know that, that we're sinful people and that we're still prone to sinful desires, and yes, we're going to fall. We know that, they don't. They haven't gotten that message. They don't know redemption. They don't know repentance. They don't know forgiveness. All they see is you're telling me to do this and you messed up too. They, don't, they only have half the picture. So while it's not a complete picture to them, it's still the number one thing that they say Christians are. Hypocritical. 
too focused on getting people saved. I have to do the quotes because that was their quote, not mine. We should be focused on getting people saved. But we leave out the discipleship part. A lot of times we go to places and we tell people about Jesus and then we go, all right, you're a Christian. And then we never talk to him again or never see him again. And they have no discipleship process. And so they think we're trying to win them to something other than Jesus Christ. We're trying to win them to a political argument or we're trying to win them to a a right-wing fundamentalist position. They don't understand that we're trying to lead them to the Savior of the universe. You can understand how that would play out. You can see that. One of the, the, the things that, that came out and you know, has been going on is, is passing out gospel tracts. And there's nothing wrong with passing out gospel tracts. Unless that person makes a decision for Christ and is never contacted again. Jesus said we're supposed to make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to make disciples. That it involves investment in people's lives. That means when you go to work, you talk to the people that you work with, and you don't just try to win them to a position or win them to an, an idea. We are not ideologues. We're followers of Christ. But the world doesn't see that. The world sees that we're trying to win people to something in order to make ourselves feel better or to gain another notch in our crown. Anti-homosexual. We don't have to go into that one too much because I think everybody in here knows that with our hard stance on that, which is correct, we tend to, to push people away. Rather than understanding that we sin, other people sin, and we need to reach out to them in love and disciple. Yes, the Bible clearly says, Romans chapter 1, that homosexuality is a sin. But our message should be, listen, Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It makes no difference if you're an adulterer, a murderer, a thief, a liar, homosexual. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Jesus died for you. And you are welcome to sit with us and to hear the truth of the gospel. That's radical. That's, that's different. But it's what Jesus taught us to do. Sheltered. Again, that's kind of that mindset looking in. We understand protecting our kids from the things of this world. We understand not watching movies or that have certain things in them or not going places that, where certain things happen. We understand that aspect of it because that's a mature relationship in Christ. But you can see how people looking would say, well, they just, they're against everything. They're sheltered. Too political. Christianity is not a political position. That's not a political position. Jesus was not a political hero. He was not a political figure. He's the Messiah, the Savior. We do need to separate our politics from our Christianity. Saying that, I do realize there are certain people with certain positions that we agree with, and that's fine. Go vote. Go be American because you're here. That's what you're supposed to do. That's great. That's good stuff. But the world sees Christ, right-wing fundamentalism, hand in hand. We need to break that image. And that we're judgmental. I, I know of some people, uh, 
that I've talked to in, in lots of churches that I've been, where, where we've gone to places um, in, in Alabama. We went to this, this, uh, this housing complex, and, and we talked to some people about coming to church. And the man looked at me, and he said, I can't come to your church. I said, why not? He said, this is all I have to wear. Jeans, holes in them. Looked like he hadn't taken a bath in a couple months. He said, I can't come. Nobody ever told him that. Nobody from our church has said, hey, you can't come to our church because of how you're dressed or what you look like or what you smell like. But that was the picture that he had in his head, that I'm not fit to be with you because you're going to judge me for being who I am. That's, again, I'm not saying that's our fault. Because he had never met me. He didn't know where I stood. But, but Christianity as a whole, collectively, that's the image that we've put out there. Now you may be saying to yourself, well, that's not me. I'm not hypocritical. I'm not focused on, on getting people saved without discipleship. I'm not anti-homosexual. I'm not sheltered. I'm not too political. I'm not too judgmental. But are you willing to look in the mirror, examine your heart, and see what reflection is reflected back? I can easily say I'm not those things. I can pass that off, that, that whole just ten minutes we went down and say, well, he's not talking to me. It, that, that's the easiest thing to do. He's not, that, that doesn't apply to me. But are you willing to step in front of the mirror of truth in those areas and see if Jesus is staring you back in the face? Are you willing to sit there and, and say, I'm not hypocritical? And hold that up and examine yourselves like Paul asks us to do to see if that's where we are. It's a tough thing to do. You see, we want to see what we want to see when we want to see it. That explains Facebook, right? Here's some stats. This is from Facebook's webpage, so take it for what it's worth. Um, People on Facebook, there are more, more than 500 million active users on Facebook. 50% of our active users, this is from Facebook, 50% of our active users log on to Facebook in any given day. That's 250 million people on Facebook in any given day. 250 million people. People spend over 700 billion minutes a month on Facebook. The average user has 130 friends. We're on Facebook to validate how awesome we are, right? That's, that's why we're on Facebook, right? We want to validate how awesome we are. We want people to know how witty we are, how funny we are. The picture of us, you know, like, that's on there. This guy who writes a blog named, named Christopher Nicholas, his blog is worthwhile blog, or worthwhile.com. He writes, there's two reasons why people are on Facebook. Me, myself, and I. In other words, the site is all about you. People love to talk about themselves, and Facebook capitalizes on that to the extreme. Think it through. You set up a profile featuring you. You look at your options. You edit your profile. You view videos of you, view photos of you, what's on your mind, and you write something about yourself. And that's just a few of the features on there, right? It's perfect. It even keeps track of the number of friends you currently have to compare with others in the epic quest to have the most Facebook friends, right? That's the game we all play. I need a friend. I need a Facebook friend, right? You know, some of us are less popular than others. Um, I have to say it. So, and then the other reason is the Curious George effect. And he said, admit it, you're a Facebook stalker. Half of Facebook friends you would never call to chat with, but you don't mind surfing through their pictures or watching their videos or reading their wall posts. 
Don't get me wrong, they put it out there for you to read, so all is fair in love and war. However, you know the whole reason you read half the mundane things people post is because, well, you're curious, maybe even nosy at times, right? So it's all about us. It's all about the reflection that we'd like to see. How many of you have Facebook profiles that reflect who you actually are? Anybody? I know mine isn't. It's narcissism to the extreme. You get to be as narcissistic as you want to be. You can, if somebody, like you can post only the, the doctored pictures of yourself on there. The digital camera has changed everything. You remember having to wait two or three weeks before you could reminisce about whatever? Now we have instant reminiscing. You remember two or three seconds ago when I did that? That was awesome. <laughs> but how many times does this happen? You take a picture and you're like, oh, I don't like that one. Delete. Right? You couldn't do that with the other ones. You were stuck. Whatever you came back with, that was it. You'd have ghosts like floating off on the side and overexposures and everything else. Not anymore. My one hair was out of place. Hold on. Take it again. Um, it's narcissism to the extreme. That's the mirror image that we like to see. And we want to see what we want to see, and we want to see it right now. It would be incredibly interesting if somehow we had this button where you could hit like the profile of people that are like actually their profile. Make Facebook a different beast, wouldn't it? You would be stalking people, but for a totally different reason. I don't want that guy anywhere near me. But this idea of examining yourselves, we're so conditioned against it. Because we're trying to put forward this perfect image and it, it permeates through even Sunday morning at church. Why did you wear what you wore today? Me, it's because my wife told me I had to. It's very simple. But why did you wear what you wore today? Why, why did you come today? Why do you come to church? Why do you come to Wednesday nights? Why do you serve in one area and not the other? It, it's all this kind of... this game that we play and and a lot of times and and i'm not you know saying it's you it's it's all of us we play this kind of game of i'm going to go pretend that i'm this guy at church i'm going to go pretend that that i'm super christian on sunday mornings or wednesday nights pray for you brother you go home and you don't do it right but we told him we were so we look better but see the world sees that they see us and they see our profile on facebook and they go wow and then when we mess up they go it doesn't match up they do it with our christian walk you're supposed to be a christian i heard what you said last week you're a hypocrite it happens all the time Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Jesus is in you. Looking into a mirror speaks the truth. Unless you go to one of them carnival mirrors. But when you look into a mirror, that's it. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing that is lying to you about what you see. That's tragic for some of us, I know. <laughs> no, I don't really look like that. But that's it. When you look into a mirror, it reveals the truth about who you are. There's no hiding it. 
You see in this verse, Paul uses the word test or examine three times, but he uses three different words. The first one that we said is, is perizit, which means to test, but then he, he does this play on words that, that he does sometimes. And in the last two times that he uses it, test yourselves, are you afraid to fail the test? The, the words that he uses is dakamazo, which, which means to recognizing, like the sense of recognizing metal as authentic, like real gold or, or antiques is real. And then the word he uses to, to fail the test is adakamos. So you have dakamazo and adakamos, which in, in the Greek language would be kind of a clever play on words, kind of a, a pun almost in, in how he uses it. One of my favorite things to watch on, on public broadcast television. Um, it's probably the only thing I ever watch on public broadcast television, but it's Antiques Roadshow. Have you seen this show? This is one of the greatest shows ever. Not because you get to see all the cool stuff, but one of the reasons it's the greatest show ever is because people always bring in something that they've had in their family since like 1927. And, and they bring it in, they're like, my grandfather bought this in, in China and he had it shipped back over and it's authentic and it's real and it's and the appraiser is kind of looking at him and goes yeah he bought it at Sears in 1955 he just told you a story right it's worth he thinks he you know I paid $700 for this at a yard sale and the guy's like it's worth 20 bucks I have two or three of them in the shop if you want to come by you can pick up a matching set maybe that makes me a sick and twisted individual but I love that um it's, it's just it's just fun because I know that in my head I'm thinking the same thing. Wow, I probably have something that's really valuable that I'm thinking and, and it's not. Um, and I know that would be me on the show. But that's the idea here. This, this dakamazo is, is the authentication of something. So when Paul is, is writing this and he says, Jesus is in you. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? Test yourselves. Are you authentic? When you step in front of the throne room of God, are you going to have a bad antiques roadshow moment? Where you say, look at all this stuff I've done. I've been on mission trips. I talk to people. Here I am. Jesus says, yeah, but you did it all for your glory, not mine. So it's, it's really not worth all that much. You have a situation in Matthew where people do that. They come up to, to Jesus and, and they say, Lord, we're here. We're your servants. We, we cast out demons. We, we prophesied. We did all this stuff. We did all this great stuff for you. And Jesus looks at him and says... Get away from me, I never knew you. Can you imagine that? You go to heaven, you're, you're sitting there, you're with Jesus, and, and you say, Lord, for 50 years I did all this stuff. I never missed a Sunday at church. I, I read my Bible every day. I went on mission trips. I went to, to and did Love Out Loud at, at Hodge Road every year for 50 years, and, and I'm there and I'm faithful and I did everything for you. And Jesus says it was worthless. What you did was worthless. That whole time you were supposed to look like me. You looked like you doing stuff for me. I don't want you to do stuff for me. I want you to be me. 
I heard somebody say one time, men who don't read the Bible read the people who read the Bible. I love that quote. Men who don't read the Bible read the people who read the Bible. Guys, if we're not authentic, what are we doing? If people look at us and don't see Christ, what are we doing? What is this about? Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. And then Paul says, do you not realize that Jesus is in you? How foolish is it of us to keep doing things on our own, to keep doing things in our own strength when Jesus is inside of us waiting to burst out? It would be very tough for any of your pastors to step into a, an MMA ring, mixed martial arts, UFC. It would be tough for us to do, except for Jared, who's, you know, karate master, taekwondo master. He's, you know, keeps things running about the office with threats of breaking boards. Um, but it would be tough for us to step into a professional UFC fighting ring and go up against one of those guys. Whether or not we would last 30 seconds is debatable. Just how fast we can run and cower up against the fence before they, they beat us into submission. We couldn't do it. Imagine how stupid it would be if we're in this situation where we have to fight, but we have Brock Lesnar or Kimbo Slice in our corner. For those of you who don't know, they're just big, huge guys with beards. Um, and we go, no, 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 Brock. I got this one. I, I, I got him. I'm going to take him out. It would be incredibly dumb. Why would we take a beating when we have somebody that could fight for us in our corner? In the same way that's ridiculous, Christians who are doing things on their own, instead of trusting on the power of Christ, is ridiculous. Test yourselves. Adakamos means fake, worthless, rejected. Fake. One of my songs that I like to listen to is a, it's a song called Stained Glass Masquerade. I like that song. I like the title of that song. Stained Glass Masquerade. We have stained glass here. Masquerade means to put a mask on and pretend you're somebody you're not. Obviously, the reference is to Sunday morning crowd, stained glass masquerade. Just a, a very poetic way to say that. Sometimes we don't look in the mirror because we're afraid to be found fake. Paul even writes that. He, he writes that at the end of this, he says, unless indeed you failed to meet the test. It's kind of a joke. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus is in you unless you fail the test. Unless you're fake. Unless you're found worthless, rejected. There's a guy 
who his life story was told out in, in the book and in the movie, Catch Me If You Can. His name's Frank Abagnale Jr. If you've seen the, the movie or read the book, you kind of know the story. But he was a check forger. And he started off as just kind of this punk kid that ran out of money. And so he just decided to start writing bad checks. And, and this happened in the, the, the 70s. And so he, before all the, the technology came in, he... It's the reason why we have a lot of the technology that we have. But he started passing these bad checks and people would give him money. And so then he said, huh, all right, how can I make more money? And so he decided to, to pretend to be a Pan Am pilot. And so he went and got a uniform and, and faked a, a pilot's license. And he would print up his own paychecks because he knew what the paychecks for Pan Am looked like. He'd get the logos off of model airplanes for Pan Am and he'd, he'd doctor up the checks and and he would go to banks, and he would dress in his pilot's uniform, and he would find the, the cutest girl he could find, and he'd go up and he'd flirt with her and, and make her feel special, and, and then he would give her one of these bad checks, and then she'd give him the cash. And that got old, so he decided he wanted to be a lawyer, so he went and passed the bar exam, and he was a lawyer for a little while, and he worked as a doctor for a little while. But the crazy thing is, he wasn't any of those. He was just some punk kid who was fake. If anybody would have ever tested him on it, they would have found out he was a fake. Here's the, the, the secret to that. And we have this mastered as, as Christians who like to pretend. If you act like you know what you're doing, you can get away with anything. You know that. You've had this conversation with your family where you're like, can we park here? And I don't know. Can we park here? We'll park here. If we, if we act like we have the credentials to park here, we, we can get, nobody's going to stop us. It'll be fine. Can, can we go through this entrance? I don't know. Just go. If we act like we know what we're doing, everybody, nobody will say anything to us. We have this kind of mindset where if we just pretend that we are who we, you know, we, hey, we're fine. Nobody will stop us. And, and most of the time they won't. But that falls apart under true scrutiny. If you park in the wrong area and, and somebody says, hey, do you have credentials to park here? You're done. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Uh, no. If, if you're going into an area where you're not sure about and, and you go in, somebody says, do you have the pass necessary to be here? And you say no, they're going to escort you back out. The problem is, is the scrutiny... For us, comes when we get to heaven and we meet Jesus face to face. That's why we need to be testing ourselves now. Because we can come in and we can sit down and we can worship and we can, we can read our Bibles and we can go to church and we can go on mission trips and we can do all that stuff. And act like we know what we're doing. And we can challenge each other, but we're good at faking out each other, too, because we're afraid that somebody's going to ask us about, you know, our walk. Did you do your quiet time today? Oh, yeah. Did you do yours? Oh, yeah. What was it about? Oh, stuff. Jesus. I read the Bible. It's good. There's a poem that's now in public domain. 
Um, that's why I borrowed it because I didn't have to, you know, give credit. Um, you may have heard this before. If you have, that's good. If not, that's good stuff. Um, it's called the master's touch. And talk about something that went from being rejected, worthless, to something that's worth something. Because this, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? It was a dollar, a dollar, then two, only two. Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, and going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Wiping the dirt from that old violin and tightening, he loosened the strings. You know, he played a melody pure and sweet as the Carolyn angels sing. Well, the music stopped and the auctioneer, in a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars. Who'll make it two? Two thousand, who'll make it three? It was three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going for three, said he. Well, the people stared, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply. It was the touch of the master's hand. Worthless changes to worthwhile in the master's hand. It's okay to look in the mirror. It's okay. And you know what? Sometimes you may not like what you see. What stares back at you might be hideous. It might be ugly. It might be open sores, blisters, just your worst fear staring back at you. But one touch from the master's hand. And it goes from being worthless to worthwhile. It's a scary thought. To examine yourselves. It's scary for some because they know they're supposed to see the face of Christ. And they don't. It's scary for others because they've never given their lives to Christ. And there's no reflection in the mirror. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in here today... And you have never put yourself to the test under the examination of faith. And you've never given your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior to be the master in your life. You'll fail the test. What he writes is, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? If Jesus Christ is not in you, if the Holy Spirit is not living in your life, you fail the test. The Bible talks about our failures, our struggles, and calls it sin. Those things that we do that are wrong, the Bible calls that sin. And it literally means missing the mark. It's like taking aim at something and missing. The aim is perfection. We've gone off the path. We've missed. 
It also says that the punishment for that is death. Not immediate death, not as soon as you do something wrong, God strikes you dead, but the death it's talking about is a death in a place called hell, which is very real. You see, if you examine yourself and and there's no trace of Christ in your life, you've never made that decision to put Jesus Christ as the master. Death awaits in a place called hell. But the good news is that even though we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. I'm here to tell you today that if you put your faith, you put your hope, you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you confess him before men, then he will forgive you of all those wrongdoings. And he will live as the master in your life. At that point, you can examine yourself and find yourself in Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Not any of the works that we talked about, but only through Jesus Christ. In just a second, we're going to pray. At that point, it would be appropriate to examine yourself. Put a mirror up to your faith life. If you don't see Jesus Christ, there's no time like the present to repent of that, to turn and say, God, I want to see your face when I look in the mirror. If you've never made a decision to have Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Master and Lord, that would be the appropriate time to confess God in your heart. 